Uh, let's stand up. Let's give God some praise this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. They all decided to sleep late. <laughs> so we're going to turn and face this way. <laughs>
just thank you for the cross. I thank you for your blood, Lord Jesus, that has washed us clean, that we were able to stand here in your presence. We're able to come before you because of the blood that was shed, the sacrifice that was paid, the payment that we could not pay. There was no way that we could pay it. Father, you love us so much. You sent your son, Jesus, to shed his blood and pay the price, the sacrifice that had to be paid so that we can come into your presence, God. And we don't want to take that for granted, so right now we welcome your presence in this place. Oh, my King, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, and my Healer, I lift you up in this place. This world has nothing for us, Father, nothing that can fill the void, nothing that can fill the, the, the voids in our life, God, that sometimes feel empty and despondent and detached God you're the only one that can feel that void oh yeah cause I searched the world but it couldn't fill me a man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough Then you came alone and 
There's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than your presence. There's nothing better than being surrounded by you. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Yes. 
nothing back because you still deserve it you're worthy you're worthy you're worthy of my soul i'll pour out your praises and blessing and breaking you're worthy you're worthy let's sing that second verse i'm gonna live like my risen this morning.
Whether you say yes or no, away, you are worthy. And through it all, I choose to say, you are worthy. I'll never stop singing your praise. I'll never stop singing your praise. Oh, let's sing that again. And in the blessing and the pain, you are worthy. Whether you say yes or no,
thank you, God. We worship you, and we honor you. This morning, we're going to pray, and then we're going to take communion to remember what Jesus has done. And this morning, I want to pray for a spiritual revival. And when, when we say that word revival, we're talking about the change of the moral state of a community. We're talking about the awakening of individuals who are dead in their transgressions. And we're talking about the shaking up of the corporate church, where, where the Spirit of God would come in and break off apathy, break off lethargicness, break off those things, and people would begin to get healed, saved, and transformed. So when we say that word, that's what we mean. We're also going to be praying for healing and deliverance this morning, that, that God would bring about freedom in people's lives and that the birth of gifts and ministries would take place in our church. Are you ready to pray this morning? Father, we just come before you today and we worship you, God. Lord, we believe in revival. God, we believe that you will bring an awakening like the, like the church of Acts, God, where people in the city will get, where the, where the idol makers got uproared. God, you will come and you will bring an awakening to change the moral state of a community, God. Lord, that, that dead men would be made alive. God, we pray and we believe that souls would get saved, that people would find freedom, that people would find deliverance, Lord, that lives would be changed, God. We believe in revival, and we want to see you pour out your spirit without measure, God. God, open the heavens and move, Lord, that we can be a people that host your presence. Lord, we pray for your power to move. We pray for freedom to move. We pray, God, that people who are bound up by petty sins, people who are bound up in bondage, immorality, loose those things off their mind right now. Loose depression, God. Loose anxiety in Jesus' name. God, we pray for healing and deliverance, Lord. Lord, that you would bring about deliverance in people's lives. Lord, deliver them so that they walk in freedom. The Word says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me that I may set free those that are captive. Lord, bring about deliverance, God. Bring about healing, healing of the mind, healing emotionally. Those that have been beaten emotionally, God, bring healing, bring restoration, broken relationships, restore those. God, we pray that you would birth gifts and ministries, God. Lord, that we would be a church that flows in the freedom of the gifts. Lord, the gifts of the Spirit. God, that people, Lord, you would present opportunities for us to serve and be used by you powerfully. God, you would use us in a mighty way to affect this community, to give us, to give us effectiveness in the community, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are getting ready with the elements now. We're going we're gonna to remember what the Lord has done as we, as we uh, practice communion this morning. At Life Church, we practice open communion. So the only qualifications is that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been born again. And so as they pass around the elements, I just want to make a notation that there's two cups. So you'll be grabbing two cups out of the one spot. It's got a bread and it's got the juice. So when you when, don't just grab the one on the top. Grab the, make sure you grab the two cups. And so we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul said, For I received from the Lord 
what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's the reason that he's worthy of our praise. And that's as we practice communion this morning, that's what we're remembering, that Jesus went to the cross to offer reconciliation and redemption for mankind, that he bought us back in order that we could have fellowship with God and we could we could walk in fullness and wholeness of the way he created us to be. And so I just want to pray and, and I want to take a moment to reflect over, over anything that maybe is in our heart that would diminish our sensitivity from the Lord. And then we can take a moment to repent of that right now, that we don't just flippantly practice communion. Let's do that right now. Let's reflect on what Jesus has done for us. on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, I thank you for the blood, the blood that washes away our sins and our iniquities and our impurities. I thank you for the blood that you sacrificed to buy us back because the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. And I thank you, God, that you shed your blood for the remission of my sin. God, we proclaim that not only Jesus, you died and resurrected, but we still proclaim that you're coming back one day. And we believe that you're coming back for a church within a church. And we honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. Hallelujah. How many of you are grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus did? Come on, somebody. How many of you are grateful for reconciliation and redemption this morning? Why don't you give a round of applause to the Lord? Thank Him this morning. Thank you, God. We worship you. And you can greet somebody this morning. Tell them hello. Welcome them to service. On this Mother's Day, tell them you're so glad to see them. And I want to wish everyone in here a happy Mother's Day. 
We're so glad you joined us on this Mother's Day. We're so glad you're here. I want to welcome all of you to service this morning. For those of you that joined us, uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we're so glad that you're here this morning with us. If this is your first time, you can visit the Welcome Center. We've got a special gift for you that we want to bless you with, and we'd ask that you fill out a Connect card so that we can get to know you and help you find your place in the kingdom and in our church. For all of our regular attendees, we're glad to see you as well. I do have a couple of announcements I want to remind you guys about. So we do have a serve opportunity. We're building a creative ministry team that for individuals to make videos and to incorporate more videos in service. I'm sure you guys have begun to see that. We're incorporating videos and media into service. So, man, if you've got that gifting or you want to learn about that, you want to participate in that, we're building that team to do that. Also, we're getting ready to launch our hospitality team. So we're raising up a team of individuals committed to serve the body. So this team, we're doing a special interest meeting. Uh, it's going to be this Sunday. Say Sunday. Oh, come on. That was week. Say Sunday. Be next Sunday, actually, because today's Sunday, but this starts a new week. So it's like this Sunday, next Sunday. Hey, <laughs> let's not argue over semantics. So we're launching a hospitality team, and this team's going to be committed to serving the regular attendees and, and that following up with phone calls and prayers uh, and also uh, those that are attending for the first time. We're going to be following up with them, praying with them. And then once a quarter, we'll be doing uh, a lunch for those that are new to the church to connect and get to know them. And so they'll be involved in serving in that and doing that. So it's going to be an awesome opportunity. You'll get to cook. You'll get to serve. You'll get to do all types of things. Maybe you like making phone calls. Maybe you like praying with people. Maybe you like doing different things. It'd be several areas to use your gifts. So we'll have a vision casting meeting next Sunday immediately following church. And we will have hors d'oeuvres. Come on, somebody. Say amen. We will have some finger food, so that's all the more reason to come. Then you can hear the vision for our heart behind that. Hey, just a reminder, at Life Church, we believe in prayer, and we do have a Sunday morning prayer meeting from 9.30 to 10.15, and that has been awesome. Man, we've had a great turnout, great attendance with that, and God is moving powerfully in that prayer meeting. Also, uh, so we've got a women's meetup coming up. It's going to be May 28th. Uh, no, I'm sorry, May 21st. May 21st on Saturday from 3 to 5. It's going to be at Dino's on Bertrand. So you want to make note of that. Uh, I know the women have always loved that. It's a great opportunity for that. Hey, Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. At Life Church, we believe in giving, and we've got boxes on the back wall. We've got a text to give feature, and we've got a, a feature on our website, and we've also got an app in order for you to be afforded every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving. Hey, turn your attention to the screen this morning. We've got a video for you guys.
I had the opportunity yesterday to attend two different high school graduations for homeschoolers, and so I heard a lot from the moms and a lot from the graduates towards their moms and how much that meant to them. And uh, today is a special day on that. In fact, this morning uh, I had a few minutes to grab a cup of coffee and I sat down and I uh, was just scanning through some quick news and stuff like that. And I came across an article that people put together about their moms. And um, uh, in this day and age, cameras on phones are just awesome. And that you catch some real life moments, you know. And so I, I, I've got a couple I just want to show you this morning. I thought they were great. And uh, you got my slides there, guys? No. Nope. My slideshow. That's, there it is. All right, this one here says, uh, they had like 25 different things about their moms. And this one here says, my wife loves to take a nap whenever possible. And her mom and grandma came to town to visit, and now I can see where she gets it from. And so you can see all three of them laying out taking a nap. And I thought that was cute. <laughs> I said, that's great. And this one, this one I really like. Where'd it go? Yeah. It says, in my mom's bathroom. And if you can't read it, it says, press button for maid service. And she's sewn a real button on the wall. It says, if there is no answer, do it yourself. <laughs> and then this one really got my heart. And it says, single mom dresses as dad so her son wouldn't miss donuts with dad day at school. And... I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms. And yeah. <laughs> Listening to the stories yesterday, and it reminded me of so many stories of me and my mom when she was still here on earth, and, and um, just really touched my heart. And so we pray that today be a special blessing to each and every one of you. But I want to get into the message this morning, and um, you just put it on the start there. We're good. I know this may sound sound strange, but this is the only title that I could come up with for this, and it's revival, a warning, and a promise. And I'm going to have to give you some historical background to set the context for this message this morning. And it's not something that I dreamed of teaching, especially like on Mother's Day or whatever, but I've always wanted to be sensitive to the timing of the Holy Spirit. And about three weeks ago on a Wednesday morning here at the church, about 4.45 in the morning, God began to speak to me as I was praying, and he brought me to this passage of Scripture that I'm going to be sharing with you. And I just feel like it's just been kind of like a in a pot of gumbo just sitting there on the stove just kind of getting ready, you know, and I knew that today was the day. So let me give you the historical background a little bit because it will make a lot more sense to you. Um, after the death of King Solomon, everybody's heard of King Solomon, um, and during the reign of his son, his son's name was Rehoboam. This is not a test. You're not going to have to take a quiz, so don't worry about it. But afterwards, uh, during the, the reign of Rehoboam, his son, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. 
There was a northern kingdom, um, and it was it retained the name of Israel, um, and it was basically ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, um, they they split from uh, being under. They in fact they revolted against the rule of of uh, Rehobo- Solomon and Rehoboam because of levied taxes, um, heavy taxes that were being paid. In fact, they also had a thing that I won't go into detail about it, but that you were required to work for nothing for certain periods of time for the government. So you can imagine the people rose up in arms. And so they split from that. And the southern kingdom was made up of two tribes, basically, and that was Benjamin and Judah. And they retained the name of Judah because Judah predominantly was the predominant tribe in, in, that, in that kingdom. And you might think, well, why didn't they just, why didn't they, you know, why did they rebel? Why did they split? You know, surely they weren't for taxes and working for free and all that. And it's interesting that the scripture says because they didn't want to give up the inheritance that God had given their forefathers for their people. So they recognized, they weren't happy about it, but at the same time, they recognized that God had promised them an inheritance through Abraham. And they felt that splitting away would be wrong. And so they had two different kingdoms, and Israel, the nation of Israel, and the kingdom of Judah, they coexisted for almost two centuries, but they also fought each other on, on on many different occasions. And during the reign of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, um, he, he turned away from God. And when he turned away from God, the people also turned away from God. And he began to worship other gods, and he began to plant these groves for worship of other gods all throughout the nation. They built altars to these false gods, and, and I could go on and on about all these other things. But then Rehoboam died, and Abijah allowed these things to continue during his reign. So we see uh, Solomon and, and Rehoboam and Abijah, uh, they, they, they moved away from God. And can I tell you something? That when you begin moving away from God, mom and dad, your kids will move further. And the next generation will move further. And I've taught this several times before, but it's just a generational thing. And it's interesting to me that we read all the time in the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But go back to the read... And Abraham had a covenant relationship with God. Isaac had one and Jacob, but they were different because Abraham had had that first encounter one-on-one face-to-face with God. And the others had an encounter with God, but it was different. And, and so I don't want to get bogged down in that. Um, but um, even, even so, th- into this third generation, they continued worshiping false gods. God was still worshipped in Jerusalem. Now, Judah was in the south part, so they had Jerusalem. And I could even tell you what's interesting is in the northern kingdom, uh, to keep the people that wanted to go to Jerusalem to worship God happy, they made a false Jerusalem in the north and a false temple. And they, so he said, well, I go all the way down there. You can go over here. And that's how bad things got. Um, but even though there were those who still worshipped God in, in its truest sense, they were, there were many people who still followed after false gods. And then came along King Asa. 
And, and he comes to power in Second Chronicles um, uh, chapter 14. And after the death of his father, Abijah. And when Asa comes to throne to, the, to, to uh, power, um, he establishes a spiritual reform um, in the kingdom. And in Second Chronicles 14, verses 2 through 6, look what it says. Asa, that's the king now, did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and high places, smashed down the stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. Now, that may not make any sense to you, but those were, were places that were being used to worship the false gods. Uh, Elijah, when he... Um, took on the prophets of Baal. He also took on the false prophets of Asherah. So that's what they're talking about. He, he, he tore down these altars. He tore down these groves. He tore down all these other things. And um, guys, if you'll just help me out with this today. He said, in verse 4, he says, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. And he removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah. And the kingdom was at peace under him. And it says, he built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. And no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. So he, he got rid of the idols. He got rid of the images that had been scattered in his previous generations under his forefathers. He got rid of the altars that had been erected to false gods. He cut down the groves. And the Bible says that he was doing good in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, the Bible says that his nation experienced peace for a period of 10 years because of that. But it did note something, and that is that even though he had done all these other things, he did not destroy what were known as the high places. And these were places that were on hills, high hills in areas where altars would be built or places of worship to false gods. And so he tore down everything else, but he still allowed these high places to exist. And in Second Chronicles 14, King Asa is returning from a battle where God has miraculously intervened. And I could go into details about this, but the enemy that came against um, Asa and, and the nation of Judah um, outnumbered them three to one, literally. Um, uh, Judah had 380,000 men, but the, the Egyptian pharaoh that was coming had over one million men and over 600 chariots, and just, it just went on and on. So they were outnumbered three to one, and Asa, recognizing Hey, those aren't good odds. He gets on his face and he cries out to God, we don't know what to do. What should we do? And God defeats Judah's enemy on, and because the king had enough wisdom to fall on his face and call out to God. Now, my point in that is that God defeated Judah's enemies even though Asa had still allowed compromise and that he had not torn down the high places. And as they're returning now with the spoils of war, the victory of God, we read in 2 Chronicles 15 and 1, it says, And the Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Odad. Now, I just want to point something out. This is... This, I've never... 
you know, you don't hear about this guy. You hear about Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and things. Who's this guy? <laughs> you know, who's Azariah? Nobody's, he's one of the lesser known prophets in the early years of the kingdom of Judah. And he, he came and spoke bravely to, the, to a word from God to the king who was flush with his success from his victory. So picture this now. The king's coming back. He's destroyed an enemy three times larger than him. He's taken the spoils of war. They're singing. They're rejoicing. I mean, you can imagine what that's like, right? And I mean, like in a Super Bowl thing, they tear down the goalposts, you know, or, or something like that. I mean, here's the king riding high, and he's like, we're number one, right? And so here comes this little known prophet and he comes with a word from God. And, um, and, and my point in that is twofold. One, and that is that God will use anyone if they're willing to be yielded to him. <clears throat> Don't ever let the devil co convince you and say to you, who do you think you are that God could use you? Okay, in verse two, it says this. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me. Now I'm thinking, who are you to tell the king, listen to you? I mean, I mean, who are you? You know, but he says, listen to me, Asa and all of Judah and all of Benjamin. So he's, 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 in, he's speaking to these hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And he said, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, again, Asa is riding high, flushed with the spoils of war from victory. He's just seen God intervene. Like, I mean, he prays and God manifests and destroys an enemy three times his size in answer to his prayer. <clears throat> Come on now. He's like, <laughs> who are you, Mr. Prophet? I just prayed and look what God did, right? <clears throat> and I'm sure that's what he was thinking. He probably smiled at this little prophet and said, you know, praise God. But man, you didn't have to add that last part, you know, about, you know, if I don't, if I forsake God, you know, he'll forsake me because, man, look what God just did. There ain't no way I'm going to warn. I'm going to I'm going to forsake God. And my point is this, and that is simply beware whenever God warns you of anything, no matter how strong you may feel in that particular area. That's a key that you really need to understand. Beware. Because why? Because God doesn't waste words with you. He doesn't warn you about something if you're not susceptible. Okay? And the minute we say, I'm not susceptible, you're susceptible. You're open to delusion. You're open to deceit. You say, I'll never be deceived. I'll never be like that. Get ready. I'm telling you, God warns you. In fact, he says, he resists the proud. Okay? So, God doesn't waste words. And if he's warning you about a particular thing, there's a reason why God is warning you about that. 
because those are the things that will absolutely trip a person up. And I remember many years ago, I won't, rec- I won't name his name, a minister, well-known author and everything else. And he made a statement in a public conference of thousands of people. And, and he had written several books on relationship with God. And, and um, I mean, he had a strong following of people, okay? And he made a statement. He said, I could never be seduced into a relationship with a woman other, and, and because I am married and committed to my wife. And less than a year and a half later, it came out. And a woman heard that, and she set her, her eyes on him, and she seduced him, and he fell. Friends, the Bible says, examine yourselves. Examine your hearts. Don't ever become puffed up and proud, okay? But here's the part Holy Spirit really began to impress on me two, weeks, two plus weeks ago in prayer in verse 3. It says, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. Now, the prophet Azariah describes the bad state of Israel in, in, in overconfidence, and they've become distant from God. In fact, that's how it happens. When you become confident in yourself, you distance yourself from God because you become full of pride. Okay, they had rejected God. They had rejected those who taught the word of God and they had rejected the law itself. Let's break this down real quick. It says for a long time, Israel was without the true God. Go to the next slide there, please. For a long time, Israel was without the true God. The people had left God. And as the prophet had told King Asa, if you forsake him, he's going to forsake you. And it's not so much as God turning his back on you, but by your turning your back on him, you are removing him out of your life. Years ago, I had a friend who used to have a bumper sticker, um, and he had it on his dashboard of his car. And you say, why? Because back in those days, when you went to fill up gas in your car, they filled up the gas for you, and they washed your windows, they checked your oil, they checked your tires, and everything else. So every time the guy, somebody would wash the front windshield, there was this bumper sticker, and it says, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? Yeah. So he, he says... For a long time, Israel lived without the true God. They were content to living without the manifest presence of God. The second thing says, without a teaching priest. They were without a teaching priest. And that reminds us that the priesthood of the Levites did much more than just offer sacrificial sac- animal sacrifices. They did more than that. They were to be, in fact, they were to be scattered throughout all the tribes of of, of God's people to teach them what the word of God says. And here's another key for you. And that is that the priest's teaching role was vital to the moral and spiritual quality of the nation's life. It was, it was not just about that's the priest, they go kill the cows and the sheep and spread the blood and all that kind of stuff. They were, their overall goal was to teach the people what God's word said and so that it would provide a rudder to their, their society and to culture and everything. And when it was neglected, the truth about God declined and the very fabric of a covenant relationship with God disappeared. And the third thing it says, and they were without the law. 
And the word of God is that rudder to, to any society. It's the basis upon which government and the ability to know right and wrong, how to live life itself is established. And once you let it go, society becomes a ship without a rudder and it loses the ability to choose what direction it's going to go. In fact, in Judges 17 and 6, it says this, In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. And when a society discards God, God's word, the culture becomes what everyone wants to do, what they feel is right in their own eyes. In 2 Chronicles 15, verse 5 and 6, it says this, and, and this really jumped out at me, and it says, In those days... It was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. Verse 6 says, one nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. Go to verse 5 again. Look what it says. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. Does this not describe the world in which we've been living for the last two plus years? No traveling, turmoil everywhere, people against people, this group against this group, this state, this country, this, all this kind of stuff. It says because the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. Look at verse 6. One nation was being crushed by another, one city by another. And look at the last part, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. The word troubling means afflicting them. God was allowing this distress to happen. The word distress in the Hebrew means adversity, affliction, anguish, distress, tribulation, trouble. And, and as I read this a few weeks ago in the early morning, it's just like... God just showed me two scenarios that I want to put before you in three simple points today, okay? And those, those two things deal with our nation and our churches in America. Our nation in America and our churches, okay? And the first thing is the condition of our nation is in direct response to the condition of our churches. Because see, like the people of Israel who had rejected God, they'd rejected those who taught the word of God itself, America finds itself in its same place. The church lost its way. The church lost its mission. The church compromised and allowed false gods and false worship to, in place of true worship before God, before a true God. And as a result, society was left to do what was right in their own eyes. And forgetting the word, the church of today, had, had uh, they submitted ideas and methods and philosophies. And the priests, in other words, those who were to stand in the pulpits of our churches across America, those who were called to rightly divide the word of truth, instead began to regurgitate man-made ideas that were bought and brought at church growth conferences across America. They're more concerned with numbers and keeping up with their peers, so they traded life-changing truth for mediocre degrees of success. 
I'm reminded of the words of the great revivalist Charles Finney when he was speaking to his peers. He was speaking to a conference of preachers. And, and Charles Finney was key in the second great awakening. He paved the way for people like D.L. Moody and others that God used mightily. And Charles Finney said this. And I'm going to put the words up so you can see it. He, 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 did, he didn't cut anybody any slack. He said, brethren, he's, pre he's preaching to preachers. Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there's a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. Man, he wasn't making friends with his peers in that group. And then I thought about George Washington and some of the words in his first inaugural address. And, and, and I'll put it on the screen and it says this. The propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. You see, it's easy to blame politicians and it's easy to point our fingers at those across the political aisle. It's easy to tag someone or something on, on social media as if that one thing is the problem for the downfall or the falling away of our society. But my friends, from the pulpit to the pews, the responsibility of our nation lies at our feet. For Ezekiel 22 and 36, says, I sought for a man among them who would build up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. I'm sorry. This is weighing heavy on me. The second thing, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that morning. He said, revival will not come if compromise is allowed. Now, in King Asa's day, he experienced victories as a direct result of God intervening. He experienced a period of peace throughout the nation. The Bible says he fortified cities. He enlarged armies. He tore down many of the false idols in their places of worship. He did good. But he allowed the high places used in worship of false gods to remain throughout the land. In other words, it's like he cleaned house except for one thing. One area. You know, I remember as a kid, I'm the oldest of seven. And I, most of the time we lived on military bases. My dad was in the military. And you couldn't just drive on a military base to go visit somebody. 
And we had an uncle for several years when I lived up in the Northeast. He, he lived not far away in Massachusetts, in Massachusetts where we lived. And every once in a while he would come to visit. And he was an Episcopalian minister, my mom's brother. And uh, the thing is, he couldn't just drive onto the base and say, I'm going to see my sister. He had to start at the guard shack, had to give who he was and information. And they would pick up the phone and they would call the house. Do you know Richie Henniger? He says he's a family member and he's coming to visit. Is it all right that we let him through the gate? And of course, my mom would be looking at us going, yes, it's fine if Richie comes. And, and she's motioning to us, get this house cleaned up. And so our way of cleaning up was shove everything under the beds and the closets, right? Because it took about 10 minutes because on a military base, you couldn't drive over 15 miles an hour. And we knew about, it was 10 minutes from the gate to our driveway. And we had 10 minutes to clean house. And man, it would look clean. Now, my mom kept a clean house. I mean, she really did. But when you got seven kids, there's going to be something out of order. And she didn't want anything out of order. And um, so the house looked clean. But there was a closet somewhere that was not in order. There was a bed somewhere. We had shoved everything. I remember putting everything on the back porch one time, you know. Like, put it out the door. He ain't going back there, you know. And that's kind of what King Asa did. He cleaned everything up except for one thing. He shoved. It's like, if I turn a blind eye, that's not, that's not important. But God saw it. And so God sent he, he, he dealt, he began to deal with this. And, and the Holy Spirit impressed on me. He said, I have sent periods of my presence upon my church for one purpose. To awaken it to its condition so that I can put it into the place to bring reform throughout the land. Well, Josh mentioned it this morning, revival. Revival is not where the saints jump around and feel good and fall on the floor shaking. It's when the presence of God becomes so real that the community, the moral climate is changed. And so much of what has been called revival today is not revival because even the moral climate in the church isn't changed. And while revival fire has fallen and even maybe a measure of reform has taken place in his church today. And when I say the church, I'm talking about his people, not the building or a denomination or anything else. Even with these moments of his presence, his people are content and willing to live with compromise. 
We read it earlier. It says in those days it was not safe to travel about for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation being crushed by another, one city by another. Because it goes on, it says, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. And verse 4 of chapter 15 says this, but in their distress, they turned to the Lord. Get this now. In their distress, in their affliction, in their troubles, in their tribulation, in the, the disruption of their lives, in the hardships, in everything else, God, they turned to the Lord. And the God of Israel, the true God, it says, and they sought him, and he was found by them. Are you wondering what's going on in the world today? I'm going to tell you what I, what I genuinely feel, and that is that God is setting up our nation. He's setting up the world for a move of his spirit. A real, genuine, heaven-sent move of his spirit. The question is, will you be a part of it or will you be watching it as it goes by? And the reason I say that is because, again, we read it earlier in, in verse 2 of chapter 15. The prophet told King Asa, he says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I feel like God is speaking that to his church. I know that sounds funny. You say, but, oh, but God loves us and he, his spirit's in us. But the Bible says in the last days, there will be a great falling away. And you can't fall away unless you've fallen in. <laughs> I mean, those who've never known God can't fall away. They're already away. So the falling away comes from within his church. He said, the Lord is with you when you are with him. In other words, when you get on board with what God is doing and what God is saying, you don't have to pray, God bless what we're doing. God's already blessing what God is already doing. And the question then becomes to you and I, are we with the Lord? And, and I thought about that and, and somebody might say, what do you mean am I with the Lord? I'm, I'm with the Lord. The Lord is with me. And, and, and it's, but it's, it's, have you ever heard someone like, I've seen coaches do this. They bring in a speaker to a team or something like that, or I've seen political convention, anything. And they bring in like a keynote speaker and that keynote speaker has been, he'd been pumping the crowd. He'd been, I mean, he's been laying it out. And then he goes, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you genuinely with me? He's waiting for a response. And that's what it's like. The Holy Spirit is saying, I don't need you assuring me that you're with me. I just want to know, is your heart beating the same way my heart is beating? That's what God is saying. Now, I mentioned there were two scenarios. 
And I've laid out the first one about our present condition of our nation and the church as a whole in America today. But the second scenario is found in verses 7 and 8 of Second Chronicles 15. Look what it says. The prophet still, this little prophet still speaking to the king. Bold words. He says, but as for you, King Asa. <laughs> like, again, I'm just amazed at this. That God could, the spirit of God would come on this man and he would go to the king who's coming off a mighty victory. I, I could understand it if the king was down in the mully grubs and, 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 and you know, just d- depressed and everything's going wrong and God brings a word. But here he is riding high and he brings this word and he says, but as for you, King Asa, be strong and do not give up. That word there means discouraged for your work will be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecies of Azariah, son of Odad, the prophet, he took courage. We're going to come back to that. And he says, and he removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. In other words, he had expanded and actually gone across the border into Israel, the northern kingdom, and, and, and took capture some of the towns there. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in the front of the portico of the Lord's temple. I mean, something hit him. He got that word, man. That prophet delivered that word and the king, woof. And he, he, it says, he says, do not give up. Do not be discouraged. And here's the second part of what I hear Holy Spirit is saying for us today in the hour in which we're living. And that tells me when God says, don't be discouraged, don't give up. That means that not everything is going to go the way you want it to. It means that not everything is going to go the way you expect it to. And this one may be hard for some of you to swallow, but not everything is going to go even the way you pray that it goes. Galatians 6 and 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. And I want to tell you, do not allow the spirit of discouragement to detract you from the work of God. Do not allow that discouragement to come in. It's easy. I'm telling you, some of you need to get off your phones for a while. Some of you need to shut the news off. Some of you need to pull away and you need to get with God and you need to hear the word of God for you because otherwise you're just regurgitating everything that you hear. And, and, and I'm telling you, it'll infect your spirit. Don't allow the spirit of discouragement to detract you from the work of God. And that brings me to my third point. And that is, there's a work to do. I said, there's a work to do. Because the prophet said, your work will be rewarded. He said, don't give up, king. Don't get discouraged. Your work will be rewarded. See, a lot of times we want to take the promise and go, that's mine. And then we sit back and like somehow we magically hold on to it. Uh Uh-uh. It comes with 
action. Faith without works is dead. And if you walk with Jesus, Holy Spirit spoke this to me late last night. He said, I am going to open doors you cannot even imagine. If you walk with Jesus, I learned a long time ago, you can open any door you want and God will let you have it. The door. But the psalmist said that you may get a hold of something you didn't really want. I'm just paraphrasing it. He said, he said it might bring leanness to your soul. I want what God wants. I don't want what God's promised you or you or you or you or you or you. I want what God's promised me. Because I could take hold of that. A lot of people want to grab somebody else's promise and go, God promised them that, that must be me too, because he didn't play favorites. God don't play favorites, but you're not that person. God made you unique for a specific purpose and a specific function for this moment in which we are living. And God's going to open doors that you cannot even imagine. But here's the other part of that. It's going to take courage to step out and step through those doors. Why? Because the fear of failure always looms around. But if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Jesus said in John 9 and 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So there's a work to do. But there's something else here that I want you to see. That the prophet said to the king, and this is how the king responded. And it says, And the king took courage. Now why would the king need courage? He's the king. His word is, Top dog. I mean, his word is whatever he says goes. So why did the king have to take courage? The word courage means to strengthen, to grow firm, to grow strong. Why would the king need to grow courage? Why would he need to, to take hold of courage? Because despite what the people may have wanted... Despite what the polls might have shown, despite what the media of that day might have been saying, King Asa had to take hold of courage to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and that was to take down the final area of compromise throughout his nation, to take down the high places, rip them down, rip them up, destroy them forever, cleanse the land. He might have been king, but his kingdom could have been in revolt. And so he thought, I'll clean everything up but this one thing. And then the people will be satisfied. But God said, if you walk with me, I'll be with you. But if you forsake me, I will forsake you. And that so shook the king. He said, don't be discouraged. Take courage. And he said, I'm going to take courage in the word of God. And I am convinced 
that the days ahead are going to require courage for the cause of Jesus Christ. Whether through mocking, whether through attacks, whether through threats, whether through intimidation, it's going to take courage. It's time for the church to quit cowering. And it's time for the church to stand up, to be full and courageous and let, their, let them be seen and let them be heard. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what their threats are. In the early church, they prayed in the book of Acts. He says, Lord, you have seen and heard their threatenings against us. Give us boldness. To preach, give us boldness in the name of Jesus. And it says, in the place in which they were, it shook. The very ground shook. Why? They didn't say, Lord, hide us. Lord, camouflage us. Let us melt in and, and blend in so nobody can tell. And every once in a while, we'll say something that's spiritual. <laughs> no. Like a salmon swimming upstream, current's going that way. But that salmon's going that way because he knows that's where he's supposed to go. I'm telling you, the, the, and there's a result of taking courage. And there's a result of the work. And it's found in Second Chronicles 15 and 9. And then it says, then he, speaking of Asa, assembled all of Judah and Benjamin and all the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, Manasseh and Simeon who had settled among them. Now, Judah was, the nation of Judah was two tribes. But now at this point, all of a sudden we see this, that he assembled all the people of Judah, all the people of Benjamin, and now he's got three other groups of people there. Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon, who had settled among them. And look what it says. I've underlined it on the screen. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel. See, that's why I had to give you that background because you would have thought it's the same thing. They came over from the northern kingdom that had rejected God and rejected his word and rejected the priest and rejected all of that. And it says they came over to him, to King Asa, to Judah, from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. And this is, I'm about to quit right here. But the presence of God, this is key. The presence of God in the midst of God's people. Brother, put that slide up for me, please. We'll draw others out of the darkness. Can I say that again? How about you say it with me? The presence of God in the midst of God's people will draw others from the darkness. See, you, a revival fire doesn't have to announce itself. Fires in and of themselves announce themselves. You put a light up around Louisiana in the summertime at dark. And every bug within a mile is coming. Remember when we used to put them zappers out there in the yard? Zap, zap, pow, 
boom, bow, boom, boom, bow, 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 boom, boom. And you're thinking, man, we're being invaded. No, they were always there. You just never knew it, right? The presence of God in the midst of his people. That's the key. It's not a building that he inhabits. It's not a denomination. It's not the preacher. It's not that. Where God is allowed to inhabit, where he is allowed to entertain himself, he is allowed to host himself in our midst. God is going to come, and when he comes, he will draw others. See, Israel was a kingdom of darkness, and they had forsaken the truth. God and people heard and saw what God was doing in Judah and they came and established themselves there did you see that they heard what God was doing and they said there's nothing over here for me there's nothing but darkness over here but I've heard that God is in the house I've heard there's fresh bread over here I've heard the God the one true God he's being taught and he's being manifest he's showing forth himself and I'm not gonna stay here anymore I am going where God is some of you think of a pastor what are you getting so excited about what do you mean what am I getting excited about See, this is the answer. This is the answer for the church. This is the answer for America. It's the answer for the world. It's the answer for families. It's the answer for the lost, the downtrodden, the addicted, the bound, the afflicted. And the presence of God in his church is the answer. But will the church... Will the church, will the church today answer the call to rid every part of compromise? There's always been a holy remnant. There's always been those who say, God, if none go with you, I will. I will. Will the church remove themselves from the compromise will they get the one thing that's left in their life the one area that they're afraid to surrender to god the one place that they they want to hold on to the one what is the one thing god has given a promise but he's also given a warning if you will walk with me i will be with you if you forsake me, I will forsake you. And again, I know there's going to be those who go, well, that preacher's preaching Old Testament. My Bible says that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I ain't talking about Jesus leaving you. I'm talking about you leaving him. And it's not that God forsakes because the mercy and grace is always present. The mercy and grace of God. They're fresh and new every morning. But the Spirit of God is calling. And he's saying, come home. Come back. It's time to clean the house. Get the closet clean. Clean out from under the beds. Clean off the back porch. Wherever it is spiritually in your life. Get rid of that junk. 
and watch what I'm going to do. I will open doors you can't even imagine. God's people are sitting there going, I wonder what God's waiting on. God waiting on you. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. Will God's people sell out to God wholeheartedly? And will America and the church see a genuine move of God? We see it today, we see denominations that are splitting. Because people said, we've had enough of this. We've had enough of this unholiness being brought into our midst. Mainline denominations are splitting because they're saying we're getting back to our roots. There is an awakening that is happening already in our nation today. And the church as a whole, though, is asleep to it. There's a world out there looking for truth, looking for light in darkness, looking for a sure word in times of difficulty. And the church is sleeping on it. And he's calling us to be the light on a hill. He's calling us to be the salt in the earth. He's calling us to sound the alarm. How shall they hear except someone preach and tell them? How shall they hear? I I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't even know how to end this today. I felt Holy Spirit just saying, let me deal with their hearts and let them come and I'll take care of the rest. I've done all I know to do, people. My heart is heavy, but I'm in anticipation of something we've never seen before. I'm not, I'm not interested in a light pouring out. I'm not interested in someone just opening the spigot part way. I'm not interested in a weekend revival. I'm hungry to see a move of God all across this land. But it's the church that has to lead the way. And if we fail to bow our knee and we fail to surrender to him, then he'll find someone else. I haven't come this far to ride my victories of yesterday. Come on, church. I haven't come this far to say, I've had enough. When I was 18 years old, just turned 18, I was down in Port St. Joe, Florida at an Assembly of God church and I was giving my testimony about what Jesus had done and how he saved me, delivered me and healed me, miraculous, all those things. And the older saint of God came up to me. He said, you young whippersnappers think you got all the answers. And he said, I got enough of Jesus to slide under them pearly gates. In all the wisdom of my 18 years, and it wasn't 18 because I just had a birthday. And I looked at him and said, sir, there is no slip and slide in heaven. You don't slide under the pearly gates. Only overcomers go through those gates. He said, I got enough of Jesus to get me there. 
I said, if that's your attitude, you may not have enough at all. Well, I never. And I wanted to say, but I didn't. And I wanted to say, that's obvious. But someone needed to tell you that sooner. I want to see Jesus. High and lifted up. Jesus. I'm just going to open these altars right now. You can, you can have an altar service right at your seat. You can come forward. You can... Whatever, I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. God, look within the recesses of my heart. Fling wide the doors, oh God. Expose anything hidden from you. Any compromise? God, if all I can do is tell of the stories of yesterday, I have no story. For you're the God of now and tomorrow. Search our hearts, oh God. Right now, right where you're at right now, would you let them search your hearts? Come on, church. Come on. God is in this place. Holy Spirit is moving. God in heaven. Jesus. Jesus.
can have my heart. Come and move in me, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with 
You can have my heart. 
So I will trust you, timing. I will rest secure. Oh, this is steady kind of love. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, you hear. Wonderful counselor, the government is resting on your shoulders. Your shoulders. The everlasting Father, you're the Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, God with us, you hear with me. Wonderful. Counselor, the government is resting on your shoulders. Your shoulders, it's higher I'll say something to those of you that are still here. And that is, we need to understand the process. When Asa took courage, set out to take down the rest of the high places in the land that did not happen in one day they had to identify those places that remain and I have no doubt that in traditional government style they prioritized certain ones that needed to come down first so there was a process to it I feel impressed to just tell you that some people are fearful of committing to God because they think that something like overnight instantly is God has to change and what changes first is our heart's response and we say yes and then just like in King Ace's day, Holy Spirit now begins to identify the high places in our life, the places that we've pushed aside, the places we don't want to talk about or we'd rather ignore or think that God is content to let it rest there. He's not going to do that. And, but he will deal with them one by one by one. And our response proper response is simply when he points it out how will we respond to it will we say yes Lord or will we say oh not that no we tear it down because when you tear it down you make more room for God and so I just encourage you that in the days ahead every day you wake up and you have breath and God gives you another day God will speak to you if your heart is open and he will show you things. You may do something or say something and all of a sudden, there he is going, that's got to go. That's got to be pulled down. That's got to be changed, whatever. And then he won't go on to something else until we deal with that. So it's a process. I want you to understand that. I'm not saying that to say for you to go, well, okay, then I give him five years. <laughs> No, that's not the point. I'm just saying when he shows you, that's the time 
to deal with it. In fact, the Bible says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it becomes sin. And the moment that God reveals to you, this is an offense to him. In that moment, that if you don't tear it down, you don't rid it out of your life, then it becomes sin. And I've learned that's not the place I want to live is with open sin in my life because the Bible says it's your sins that have separated you between you and your God. So I just encourage you that look, God is up to something so incredible. It's beyond our wildest imagination or dreams or prayers or anything else. And he's not excluded anyone. He says, if you, if you walk with me, I will be with you. That's it. So we don't walk comparing ourselves to somebody else. We don't walk comparing to, you know, I don't look at Brother Josh and go, oh, he's doing this. I must be, I'm, I guess I need to do that. I have to walk in what he's called me at that moment. And so I just encourage you along that line. Be open, be faithful. Say yes. Yes, Lord. And God will open doors that you cannot even imagine. And you will become life changers, impact the world in which you live. We say things like that all the time. You could change the world. And we think, I'm a nobody. But you have your world. It may be your family. It may be your neighbors, it may be your friends, it may be your classmates, whatever, but you have a world and God will use you to impact that world if we'll just yield to Him. Father, I just pray for each and every one in this place today. God, I sense your presence so genuine and real this morning. You're real every time we meet. You're genuine every time, but God, I just sense there's a spirit of agreement in this place that, God, we're after you. We want you. So, Father, we say yes. We take courage. And we will not be discouraged. We will put our hand to work. And we will say, God, I will walk with you. I will walk with you. Father, I pray as they leave this place today, let your presence rest upon them. Let your favor go before them. That each person they come in contact with, they may have world-changing impact in the lives of those individuals. For the cause of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need special prayer for anything, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, you can stay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that you have to leave, whatever, but God bless you. We love you.